Keys to Lost is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all of your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com. And welcome to this Keys to Lost special. We're not going to do an episode review this week because Leslie and I can't coordinate our schedules. And then I will be gone to Hawaii, yay, next week. And so for the next two weeks, we're just going to play you some Giacchino moment flashbacks. This will be the first six Giacchino moments in this block that we did uh, for the episodes Follow the Leader, The Incident, The Pilot Part 1, The Pilot Part 2, Tabula Rasa, and Walkabout. Hope you enjoy them, and we will see you in two weeks with an episode review of Solitary. The Giacchino Moment, an analysis of the music of Lost. Okay, so in this section of, of the podcast, which I call the Giacchino Moment, I also call Giacchino is God, which is basically quoting uh, Damon and Carlton, the producers of Lost. Um, and, and we're going to feature the, the music uh, that Michael Giacchino composes, and, and being that we're both musicians, we feel uh, slightly qualified to analyze it a little bit. Um, I myself have had a film scoring class uh, while I was in college many, 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 many years ago, and also a commercial music class, which deals with the, the, the psychology of music. Uh, uh, we spent a whole half a semester learning how to write a song that would sell shampoo. And, and why it worked that way, and that kind of thing. And, and I think that Mr. Giacchino is, is, is very in tune with how to tap into our emotions and, and actually make scenes even stronger than they already are. We already, there, there's already fantastic acting and writing uh, on Lost, and, and, and that's key to the show. Oftentimes, in, music is, is put on television shows as, as, as an afterthought. And I really, I really, truly believe that, that Giacchino has, has, has raised television scoring to a whole new level in terms of making us feel emotions and making us feel emotions that necessarily aren't present on the screen or outlying ideas and theories in itself that wouldn't be apparent otherwise except for music. And I'm going to address that this week rather than, than pick a moment from, from the actual episode. I'm picking a moment that doesn't happen in this episode and that is the life and death theme that usually we have heard occur repeatedly when someone dies. The life and death theme, which I will play a little clip for you right here now. So this theme we've all heard, it's what makes us feel a little bit after somebody dies, besides the fact that they've died and it's one of our beloved characters, makes us feel a longing, a sense of longing, a longing for that character, a longing for resolution, maybe a longing even for uh, a slight revenge uh, 
to or of avengement of of that person's death. But here's the interesting thing: it has not been used for every character's death, and there are striking similarities as to when it has been used and when it has not. The life and death theme has been used when death has been foreshadowed or when an injury has been sustained and, and there is a period of time between the time of the injury and the death of the person. Let me give you examples of that. And this is when the theme does occur. Boone, it took him quite a while to die after he fell in the plane uh, and was brought back to the camp. And, and, and Jack went, this is in season one, and Jack went through all of, all of the, the trials to try and save him, only to, for them to be futile. The life and death theme was played for Boone. It was also played for Charlie when Charlie died. Charlie had known for most of season three that Desmond had told him he was going to die, so his death had been foreshadowed. And uh, drowning can certainly not be, is not a, a, a quick death by any stretch of the imagination. Charlotte um, first showed her symptoms of, of the bleeding and everything and, and continued to, to be with him for a, a day or so uh, after her symptoms started before she passed away during all of the flashes. And then also Libby, who her and Analysia were both shot quickly and suddenly and surprisingly, but Libby managed to hang on for a while, whereas Analysia died pretty much instantly. Uh, Libby, for Libby's death, the life and death theme was played, and that was back in season two. Now, there are other cases where deaths were quick and sudden, and the death theme, uh, the uh, life and death theme was not played. And those cases would be like Analysia, who's did die quickly after Michael shot her in season two. Daniel, who died quickly after he was shot in season five. And Shannon, who was shot uh, in season two as well very quickly by Anna Lucia. The life and death theme was not played for her either. And so my thought is is that Michael has, has applied the psychology of that theme uh, as, as a, a, to, to induce an extra sympathy for a person suffering before they die. And and not just that, but because we see these characters that we love go through this, I, I think it accentuates the emotion of it that much more by seeing, not maybe not just in terms of suffering, but it makes us think about the character stronger if, there's, if they're still hanging on for a little while. And it literally brings out the title. Here we have hanging on to life before death, the life and death theme. It's not just the death theme. If it was just the death theme, then I think that all the people, when they, uh, all of the characters when they died, that theme would be played as kind of a confirmation that they are, in fact, dead. In this case, though, uh, I think Giacchino has brilliantly used the theme in order to, uh, to accentuate how quick or how, how shocking or how surprising the death is. No one saw Daniel getting shot coming. I don't think, unless they were spoiled by, you know, by previews or, 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 or some other sources. And so the life and death theme at the end of the variable and at the beginning of this, season, of this show was not played simply for that fact because it was a, a shocking, quick death. It wasn't something that you expected. It was out of the blue. Uh, same way with, with Anna Lucia and Libby. Those, I didn't expect Michael to turn the gun on the, on the two of them at all, yet there it happened. Anna Lucia died very quickly, and Libby hung on for, for a, a couple of hours and was surrounded by, by the other losties, uh, Jack and, 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 and uh, Kate and 
Sawyer, I believe, and Hurley uh, before she passed. Um, and and so the life and death theme was played after she passed on. So uh, that's my thought for this week in terms of Dequino is God. The Giacchino Moment, an analysis of the music of Lost. Okay, so in this uh, episode of the Giacchino Moment, we're going to explore the use of Ben's theme throughout the episode, The Incident, in order to show what frame of mind he is in. Giacchino's been very brilliant in the way that he either reharmonizes or arranges Ben's theme to give you an idea of what's going on in his mind. So first, we actually need to be able to identify Ben's theme, which is this chromatic uh, melody. Da, 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 da. That melody right there is the motif that represents Ben. It's Ben's theme, and you're going to hear that in all of these scenes. The first instance that we're going to see here is from the beach uh, camp where John approaches Ben and asks him about what happened the first time they went to the cabin. You'll hear Ben's theme being presented in a uh, almost a pathetic, a sad kind of way. This is the child within Ben and, and how the child feels unspecial and what kind of desperate actions he might take in order to make himself feel special. And so the melody itself, the chromatic melody, is presented in the piano, which is a, uh, a beautiful instrument in the fact that it can convey many different kinds of emotions, anger, sadness, a feeling of abandonment. Then as the scene progresses, we're going to hear as John is starting to speak to Ben about why he can't believe that Ben wouldn't kill Jacob. You're going to hear the theme presented again, at least the chromatic part. Da, da. And, but this time it's represented in strings and it is surrounded by horns and also by strings as well, producing a much more sinister accompaniment. It's almost like you can hear the wheels or see the wheels starting to turn in Ben's mind as he's pondering everything that John has just told him. And with that, here's the clip. What happened that day at the cabin when you first took me to meet Jacob? Well, you clearly already know that I was talking to an empty chair, John. That I was pretending. Which is not to say that I wasn't as surprised as you were when things started flying around in the room. But why would you go to all the trouble to make something like that up? I was embarrassed. I didn't want you to know that I had never seen Jacob. So yes, I lied. That's what I do. Why do you want me to kill Jacob, John? Because despite your loyal service to this island, you got cancer. You 
had to watch your own daughter gunned down right in front of you. And your reward for those sacrifices? You were banished. And you did all this in the name of a man you'd never even met. So the question is, Ben, why the hell wouldn't you want to kill Jacob? Yeah, that's just absolutely amazing. That's a beautiful thing to hear the way the theme is presented, especially there at the end. Just the tail end of it, the chromatic thing with this polyphonic accompaniment and stretching through various keys and and the addition of percussion and everything. Just really, you start to see the wheels turning in Ben's mind. Okay, next we're going to review the scene where John, Dark John, and Ben enter Jacob's lair there at the four-toed statue. Uh, it's right after Richard has opened the wall. They enter in, and we first have Locke's theme going. Then we have uh, the introduction of Ben's theme as well as Ben takes the knife. And you'll hear how sinisterly it's played. It's, this time the theme is played with brass. It's very harsh, and it uh, signifies a ferocity. Um, which is uh, very true to uh, Ben's emotions as he takes the knife. He's ready to do the task. And here's the clip. final example now we're going to hear Ben's theme played twice again this is the scene where uh, Ben asks Jacob about uh, about why Jacob never paid any attention to him and then ultimately kills Jacob and you're going to hear the theme presented two distinct different ways one before Jacob says what about you and once after Jacob says what about you and it totally dick you don't need the pictures in order to see the actions Ben is in, in the first part the piano theme is represented, it's, and it's presented in very uh, saddened, in a saddened state, the melody is. And then afterwards, after Jacob uh, says, what about you, and Ben has resolved that he is going to kill Jacob, then you hear the, you hear the harsh theme again presented. This time, you've decided to stop ignoring me. Thirty-five years I lived on this island, and all 
I ever heard was your name over and over. Richard would bring me your instructions. All those slips of paper, all those lists. And I never questioned anything. I did as I was told. But when I dared to ask to see you myself, I was told, you have to wait. You have to be patient. But when he asked to see you, he gets marched straight up here as if he was Moses. So, why him? was it that was so wrong with me? What about me? What about you? that those three examples uh, kind of demonstrate exactly uh, the way that Giacchino can really use the same theme, can represent a character with that theme, uh, but present the different emotions that that character might be feeling at the time. So uh, it was a pleasure to do Ben's theme. Ben's theme is actually my favorite theme, uh, on uh, one of my favorite themes on the whole show. I love the life and death theme too, but uh, Ben's theme because it has been manipulated in so many different ways, and part of that, I think, to to help keep the mystery around Ben alive, because you don't know exactly what he's going to do next, even though Giacchino kind of tells you. But if you don't think about it, 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 it it's, it's funny all of the different faces that Ben's theme has, just like all of the different faces that Ben has shown us in the show. And that concludes this week's Giacchino moment. Giacchino Moment, an analysis of the music of Lost. In this Giacchino Moment for the pilot episode, I want to explore the theme that Giacchino uses and has used throughout every season uh, in terms of learning discovery about the island or discovering the island. Um, This First, I want to present to you the main theme. Uh, In this case, it's called, uh, the track actually from the official soundtrack is called Juliet is Lost. Uh, This is from the season three soundtrack, but I feel like the the theme is much more clearly defined for us to hear it. Um, And I want you to be able to understand what the theme is that I'm talking about before we explore how it's used in the pilot episode. So here it is, Juliet is Lost.
Great. So there is the theme. You hear the dum 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 dum, and presented with a uh, minor chord in strings, um, then resolving to a uh, dominant chord following that, uh, which creates tension over the over the still the the root pedal. And then finally back to the minor chord and then to a major four chord uh, where they have the big swell and with the horns and all. Uh, fascinating uh, way of, of exploring the discovery of the island. And that, of course, that excerpt is from when Juliet first steps off the sub and is introduced to Ben. And then she looks up and she sees the big uh, cliffs of the island. The island's kind of presenting itself at the big swell. Um, and what we're going to see next, or what we're going to listen to next, is we're going to hear that same theme the first time it was ever used in the, in the whole series, which is here in the pilot episode. The, this theme is used as Jack, Kate, and Charlie are making their way across the island towards the cockpit, essentially exploring the island for the first time themselves. And at the same time, back at the beach camp, it begins to rain. You hear a lock or you see Locke at this time, welcoming the rain, welcoming uh, the fact that we now probably can guess after seasons of watching that he knew the rain was coming, that the island was telling him things, and he's discovering the island in his own way. So here's that. Hey guys, is this normal? Day turning into night, you know, end of the world type weather. Is this, guys? Yeah, so there you go. There's the uh, scene from the pilot episode where that sequence was first played uh, or scored by Giacchino. Uh, Amazing how it's presented in almost the exact same way here um, that later on in season three, when when Juliet first stepped off the sub, that he he did almost almost an exact orchestration. One thing that was different was the use of the the percussion sounds. The uh, the percussion sounds in this scene from the from the pilot seems to be uh, a bigger type of mallet sound, whereas with Juliet it's used more like with a glockenspiel or a smaller type of of uh, sound, um, maybe to represent the fact that in the beginning. Uh, in the in the pilot episode, uh, many people were discovering the island for the first time. Here we have Jack and Kate and Charlie. They're making their way towards the cockpit. They're they're wandering through this jungle for the first time all alone. You have the all of the people back at the beach camp uh, and Locke um, going through the rain. And of course, Locke's discovery is the actual mystery of the island, which is when those string themes are presented uh, with Juliet. She arrives at the sub, or off the sub, and the single glockenspiel-like uh, motif is played, and then the strings in the swell 
are are there present because she is there at the island. She's there to discover the mysteries of the island on her own. Um, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful little piece of uh, work there by Giacchino, as usual. He is absolutely brilliant, and the way he reuses themes and and presents them in slightly different ways to personalize them for our different characters uh, is shows true ingenuity. And that's the Giacchino moment for this week. The Giacchino Moment, an analysis of the music of Lost. All right, and in this week's Giacchino Moment, we are going to explore the what we call the marching theme. It's a theme that has a, a definite march kind of quality to it, and it's usually used when our Losties are either going towards something on a mission or fleeing from something on a mission. And uh, we have several examples here. The episode, the pilot, first introduced it in part two when Charlie, Sawyer, Kate, Saeed, Boone, and Shannon were on their way to try and get the transceiver to work at higher ground. And here's that theme. You decided to join us. I'm a complex guy, sweetheart. So there is the first time that we ever heard that theme used, which was in the pilot episode part two. The next example that we're going to hear, you'll hear a slight variation in the theme. Uh, this is from The Looking Glass, when Jack is leading everybody away off the beach and leaving Jen and Bernard and Saeed behind to shoot at the dynamite at the tents. You're going to hear the theme being sped up as the Losties walk away from the camp, from the beach camp. This is to indicate the urgency of their need to get to the radio tower. So here's that theme. All right. Let's do it. Love how that speeds up there. That's 
great. It's just as they're as they're moving away from the beach camp, it just speeds up. There's a couple of notations about this theme. It's laborious. It's 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 very straining. It's it's like they're trudging on to something else, or trudging away from something else. You know, it's 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 a mass movement kind of theme. It's purposeful. It's it, with the percussion and 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 the, the the strong presentation in the cello and the bass uh, of that. And then to add the 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 higher melody above in the higher strings, and and the the dissonant chord with the horns, uh, gives you an idea of the tension that's going on here. Great variation of of the first time we heard the theme. So the next two instances of the theme that we're going to listen to are actually from season five. The first one being from Follow the Leader when the group of others are being led by Locke and Richard away from the others camp, which is a nice parallel to the prior scene where Jack was leading everybody to the radio tower. Now John is leading everyone to Jacob. And you will hear a variation. Uh, the theme is played slower, um, and it's lighter somewhat. The reason being, I believe, is because... Richard is going to take his time to lead these guys to Jacob. He, I think he feels quite uncomfortable about what John's doing. And I think it sets up the whole dialogue between Ben and John that happens in this scene, which you will hear as well. So here's the scene. Richard had some concerns. Concerns about what? This pilgrimage to Jacob makes him uncomfortable. He's expressed reservations about whether or not you know what the hell you're doing. I appreciate you bringing this to my attention, Ben. I know we've had our differences in the past, John. But I'm here to follow you now. So if you need Jacob to help you reunite your people, then I'll do whatever. I'm not interested in being reunited with my people. What do you mean? You told son. I know what I told her, but that's not why we're going to Jacob. And so there you have it. That's a theme, and it's presented much more slowly. Um, again, I think to represent that Richard is taking his time to get everybody to the four-toed statue. He's not in any hurry to get John there because this is unprecedented as far as he's concerned. He hasn't been able to address those concerns directly to John yet either. And uh, so I think they're moving slowly. In this last example of the theme, we're going to again hear it presented rather slowly, but not quite as slowly as presented before in the Follow the Leader. I believe this is because John is now in kind of in the lead with Richard there. And then it also sets up the fact that John and Richard are going to have that conversation where Richard is concerned, and John is going to reassure Richard that he's actually going to thank Jacob. So now, between the two scenes, with uh, 
prior from Follow the Leader, which we didn't have on the clip, but at the end John tells Ben that he's going to kill Jacob. He instead this time tells Richard that he's going to thank Jacob in the flip-flop. And this slightly faster pace, I think, indicates that he's going to do whatever he needs to do in order to get there uh, a little more quickly. And here's the scene. Everybody, still got a ways to go to get to Jacob. Who's Jacob? And so there you go. Later on in that scene, of course, John reassures Richard that he's going to thank Jacob, which we later find out is not the truth. We don't know at that point which is which. At any rate, that concludes this week's Giacchino moment. Love this theme, as does Heath from Lost Revisited Now. So there you go, Heath. Hope you enjoy this one. Giacchino Moment, an analysis of the music of Lost. In this week's Giacchino Moment, we're going to explore a theme called Me and My Big Mouth by Michael Giacchino. This is when Michael is in the jungle looking for Vincent, Walt's dog, right after he had promised Walt that he was going to find the dog while it was raining. It has a lot of suspenseful elements in it, including the percussion, which is some of it, I'm sure, was parts of the actual fuselage that was taken apart for the set as Giacchino started using those as percussion for some of the score, especially in the first season. The theme first starts out, though, with a droning kind of sound that swells and contracts, uh, which creates a great sense of mystery as well, a sense of eeriness as Michael's walking through the jungle. Uh, it's before he hears the sound of the animal. And as the tension builds and then he realizes that the animal is coming for him, then the drive happens from the percussion and from a string line which moves up chromatically. It's almost kind of like a tension and dissonance of the psycho theme, except that he actually takes each of those components of that and then goes up chromatically step by step, generating even more tension until Michael finally emerges from the jungle to find Sun. Okay, so now I will play the theme for you as it is presented on the soundtrack without the dialogue so that you can hear all of those components. There's the droning. beat and we'll start to hear one of the themes of the island actually the theme used at the end of the show and now more percussion and the strings
end the gong there at the end in order to indicate that he's free and clear. It kind of releases the tension, even though he's now in another tense situation with Sun being topless right in front of him. So it works really well. Uh, it's a, just a short piece, only about a minute long, and it doesn't really have a true theme to it. It does have the element of the ending title theme in it, as well as that was used uh, in the very first uh, part where Jack was running towards the crash. The percussive elements really drive home the tension, and the strings rising and rising totally makes everything uh, spookier and spookier. You can almost feel the animal coming down on top of you that way. So now I'll play you the scene taken from the DVD with the dialogue also. Yeah. As soon as it stopped raining. Good. Nice. I'm going to find your dog. Yeah. He's going to go walking through the haunted damn jungle looking for your... Vincent? Vincent? That you, buddy? have it. That's a great way to build attention there. You can almost see Michael running through the jungle as it's happening. The sound effects help a great deal too, but I thought Giacchino worked around that whole scene very well in, in terms of how to build it and how to make things more and more and more tense right up to the point where Michael emerges uh, from the jungle to the clearing near the beach where Sun is bathing. And that's the Giacchino moment for this week. The Giacchino Moment, an analysis of the music of Lost. In this week's Giacchino Moment, we will be exploring the two themes of John Locke. There are two distinct themes that are associated with this character. The first one being what Giacchino has titled Crocodile Locke. This is the Locke the Hunter. This is Locke uh, who he wants to be. And it's kind of a mysterious theme. Uh, it, it has a lot of little elements in it, even though it is very simplistic. First of all, there is a clave going in a specific rhythm, which I have an example of right here. Then the main theme actually only consists of a few notes. There is a root pedal, the actual tonality of the chord and of the song, which is held underneath, while three different notes are played in a sequence. The first note being the fifth of the chord. For instance, if we were in F, the key of F, F would be the droning note on the bottom. C would be the first note of the melody. Followed by D flat, or C sharp, which is the raised five or flatted sixth, whichever you want to call it. And then the major third of tonality, 
which the melody drops down to an A natural if you were an F. All of this over an F pedal. And here's an example right now. It is very mysterious, very creepy, and it really only uses three notes. It does return to the C after playing the A from the third back to the fifth, which gives it a slight bit of resolution, but it's one of those things where you picture a hunter who's creeping up on, on his prey. Uh, not necessarily just a human hunter, but any kind of, of hunting animal, the way they creep up. And the drive from the clave within, when you add that to it, uh, creates a whole other effect uh, uh, of a driven animal, something trying to find its food, or in this case, Locke trying to find himself. So let's put an example uh, out there before I get into an actual clip from the show uh, of the two elements put together. Here it is. <laughs> You can hear all the components together. And now let's listen to the clip from the episode Walkabout. This is where John is talking about the boars after he's just thrown the knife at Sawyer. We hunt. How'd you get that knife on the plane? Checked it. You either have very good aim or very bad aim, Mr. Locke. His name is Locke. Okay, Mr. Locke, what is it that we're hunting? We know there are wild boar on the island. Razorbacks, by the look of them. The ones that came into the camp last night were piglets. 100, 150 pounds each. Which means that there's a mother nearby. A 250-pound rat with scimitar-like tusks and a surly disposition who'd love nothing more than to eviscerate anything comes near. Boar's usual mode of attack is to circle around and charge from behind, so I figure it'll take at least three of us to distract her long enough for me to flank one of the piglets, pin it, and slit his throat. And you gave him his knife back? Well, if you've got a better idea, better than three of you wandering into the magic forest to bag a hunk of ham with nothing but a little bitty hunting knife? Hell no. It's the best idea I ever heard. Yes, who is this guy indeed? Because this theme is the hunter theme, Crocodile Locke. Uh, this theme is the person that Locke envisions himself to be. However, there's a duality in the character of John Locke. There is the person that he wants to be and believes he can be, and then there is the person who he actually is. And that is another theme. But let's go ahead and listen to a couple more examples of Crocodile Locke throughout other episodes. You want my opinion? Boone, you gotta have some faith. All we gotta do is break the glass, 
And then we're in. Trebuchet delivers half a ton of force. Why do they call it a trebuchet? It looks like a catapult. It's called a trebuchet, Boone, because it's trebuchet. I don't get you, man. One minute you're quoting me to you, now all of a sudden you're an engineer. I don't think I can spell trebuchet. There's a T on the end. I'm serious, John. We've been coming out here every day for two weeks. You never talk about yourself. Everybody's got a story. My story would bore you. That, is, of course, is from Duex Machina. That's where they're building the trebuchet, Locke and Boone. And they also cycle the theme through a couple of keys as well as they're raising the trebuchet up, getting ready to let it go. Note that there's a lack of the clave in this one, and I believe the reason that Giacchino didn't put that in there is because Locke feels that he's found himself. He's secure in the fact that he is the hunter and that his plan to open the hatch will work. We have to go back to the orchid. Excuse me? The orchid. That's where all this started. Maybe it's where it'll all stop. That greenhouse is a long ways away. You said you had a zodiac raft back at the beach. We could take that cut around the horn of the island and get the orchid in half the time. And let me guess, you know exactly what to do when we get there. Not exactly at all, but I know that Ben used it to leave the island, and if I can do the same thing, I believe I can save us. And how are you gonna do that? This is all happening because they left. I think it'll stop if I can bring them back. Bring who back? Jack, Tom, Saeed, Hugo, Kate. The boat blew up and that chopper was probably on it. They're not dead, James. Says who? That doesn't matter. All that matters is they've got to come back. I have to make them come back. Even if it kills me. Don't you want them to come back, James? Don't you want her to come back? Okay, and that is from the episode The Little Prince from Season 5. Notice that uh, they've broken up the rhythm of the melody. They've added the clave kind of to the pedal tone and to the chords and to the melody rather than having the clave going underneath the whole thing being presented long. I think this is because Locke is questioning things just a little bit, but he still feels secure in the fact that he is the hunter. And the final example that I have for the crocodile lock theme is actually when we have Auntie Jacob posing as Locke. It should have been a clue to any of us that were listening to the musical score that this was not the real Locke because we started to get an additional note in the theme. Rather than just doing the fifth to the raised fifth to the major third and back to the fifth, we now get the fifth to the raised fifth to the major third and then down a half step instead to the minor third. A very different theme in terms of its feel and, and darkness. Ben is coming in with me and if that's a problem, I'm sure Jacob and I can work it out.
masalah. a nice little clue that Giacchino actually gave us before the reveal and that was he changed one note he changed he went down to the minor from the third rather than back up to the fifth in the fourth note of the sequence so excellent job there now let's look at the other theme of John Locke's which was presented in Walkabout originally and that, while it doesn't really have a title and is not on the official soundtrack of season one, I call the miracle slash pathetic theme, which is the miracle of Locke being able to walk, the gift that he's been given by the island, but the, also the tragic life that Locke has led. And there are several examples here. But let's break down the theme itself. This one is very interesting because it has a, a contrapuntal melody to it. There is a running theme that ascends up and then there is a motif or a, a figure of music that plays over the top of that. First let's take a look at that motif which is actually the central theme of the piece of music. So it's two consecutive sets of three notes followed by two consecutive sets of four notes done in a climbing fashion. Now, it's accompanied by a constant contrapuntal thing which rises from the fourth up to the root of tonality. And here that is. So that little repeating motif happens underneath and at the same time as the central melody, uh, which creates a wonderful amount of tension and, and a feeling of not only beauty, but sadness and wonder and miracle. Let's hear both of them played together on the piano. Now that you know what the theme is, let's listen to it in a clip. This clip is from Walkabout. It's where Locke's last flashback sequence where he learns that he can't go on the walkabout. And then right after the plane crash when he finds out that he can actually walk again. Destiny. This is destiny. This is, this is my destiny. This is, I'm supposed to do this, damn it! Don't tell me what I can't do! Don't tell me what I can't do! Thank you. 
I have to say that this episode and that scene in particular was the first time that the music truly carried me to a place more than what the scene was carrying me to. Uh, it's where I really first came to appreciate Michael Giacchino. And other music before that had been great, it had been fantastic, it was perfect, but this actually brought more out of the scene than was there, and I was emotionally touched by that scene, and that's still one of the reasons why Walkabout is one of my favorite episodes of all time. Okay, and I'm going to close the Giacchino moment this week with two more examples of this theme, which is truly a... a, a tragic theme when you look at it in the way it's applied to John's life. The first scene that you will hear will be when John realizes that his father stole his kidney, and then we flash to him mourning over Boone at the hatch. The second is from Orientation, where he's just encountered his father again, and he's told that he's not wanted. podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.